Okay, good evening, everybody. Well, thank you. <laughs> Welcome to RUF. I'm so glad to see so many of you here. Is this distracting that this large light is on me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to solve it. Count to three. Didn't count. Fast enough. Um, I, I want to welcome, add my welcome to you to RUF. Uh, we're, we're, a, we're a community of students on this campus who, who want to experience the love and truth of God in Jesus more and more. And, and we want to express that love and truth of Jesus as we live towards each other more and more. And we want to extend that love and truth of Jesus towards this campus and this community more and more. That's what, that's, that's what we're about. My name is Lewis Lovett. I'm the RUF campus minister. At, yeah. Yeah. Those are some of my guys right there. Um, this is my fifth year working here uh, as a pastor for RUF. It's just a joy to get to do that and hang with you guys. I would, love to, I would love to meet people, especially new people. If you haven't said hello to me, please introduce yourselves. I'd love to meet you. This is my wife, Maggie. Hey. Coolest person in the room. We've been married 11 years, and um, you may have seen, if you were at the picnic, our four lovely children. We have four daughters. And um, they are fun and we'll be around at RUF stuff from time to time, including at fall conference this weekend. So some of you will get to uh, party with them in the mountains. Um, I also want to make sure that you guys are meeting Abby Windsor. Where is Abby? This is Abby. Um, Abby is on staff with RUF. She's the RUF intern here. She just graduated from Wake Forest University. Go Deeks. The Demon Deeks will be with us at fall conference this weekend. So just something to think about. Um, but yeah, especially if you're a, a, a new person, a new girl, first year girl, Abby's a great person to talk to to get, to get plugged in. And she'll be hanging out with the freshman girls Bible study along with those wonderful leaders that you saw before. Uh, it's important that you understand what I'm about to say next. RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship. I got to tell you a quick story about why this is, can, can be confusing. I do not know what happened if you just Google the letters RUF. Uh, at RUF at UT in Knoxville, where I am from, go Vols. Um, I'm, a, I'm okay. Give me a second. I'm okay. Where, uh, they, uh, the RUF got selected at a UT women's volleyball game to be the highlighted student organization of the week. I don't know how this happened, but they somehow got this notification, and they were invited to come and have good seats at the volleyball game. And in some break, they, they brought some students from RUF out onto the floor in Thompson Bowling Arena in front of thousands of people. And on the jumbotron up top, it said, RUF Revolutionary United Front. <laughs> Does anybody know what the Revolutionary United Front is? Has anyone seen the movie Blood Diamond? <laughs> the Revolutionary United Front is an anti-government Somali <laughs> militia. And they are, they, are, they are not good guys, okay? That is not who we are. Wanted to be very clear, no connection with that RUF. I feel like it's important to say. Um, one, of the things that we will, one of the things that we will do each week in RUF is that you will hear a message from, from the Bible. And what we're going to be looking at this semester is the book of Colossians. Uh, I'm really excited about, about spending some time with you guys in Colossians. It's something I've been thinking about. Uh, a lot this summer as I've looked forward to, to this night and getting into this uh, together. But the, the main thing I want you to, to kind of be thinking about that we're going to talk about every week is this, is that Jesus is enough for you. That's the claim of Colossians. That's really the claim of the scriptures is that Jesus is enough for you. And this is something that is really challenged by so much of our own hearts in the world around us. Uh, Colossians is written by a guy named Paul who is an apostle of Jesus uh, around 30 Around, I would say around 20 years after the death of Jesus. 
He's writing this letter while he's in prison, probably in a city called Ephesus, but maybe in a city called Rome, which we are not sure about. And um, Colossae is this, this, this little city in modern-day Turkey. Uh, Paul's never been there. He's never met these people, but his good friends have met them and have shared the gospel with them. So what I want to do this morning, uh, sorry, this evening, as an introduction to uh, this Colossians, I want to read just these first couple of verses. So if you have your Bible, it's also printed on the back of your handout. Just the first two verses of Colossians to get us going. So if you please read along with me, that would be lovely. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. He gives it to us because he loves us. We, let, me, let me pray and then we'll, we'll jump into it. Father in heaven, I'm so grateful for this night to be here. Lord, you have uh, led us through so many things, even in the past 10 days, two weeks, as we've gotten back to campus, many of us for the first time, and starting life here. I, pr- I pray that in this time that you would meet with us, that your spirit would be at work through your words, that we might know you and love you more, and we might love each other. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in college, I worked as a, a camp counselor at a summer camp, like many of you have done or may do at some point in, in North Carolina, and I was, a, I was a canoeing counselor, a canoeing instructor. It's pretty obvious those were sort of the coolest counselors at the camp. And um, me and some of the other canoeing and kayaking counselors had this idea that we would uh, sneak away from camp very, very early one morning before our campers woke up, made sure there was enough staff there to cover them in case we were late. And we were going to drive over to DuPont State Forest, which is right next door, and um, take our boats over this waterfall called Hooker Falls. Hooker Falls is on the, it's on the New River. If you've even seen The Last of the Mohicans, you're not old, but if you have, it's filmed in DuPont. It's very, very beautiful. What's up? I see you. Um, and uh, they actually go over this waterfall in the movie, and we thought it'd be cool. Uh, in the movie, it's pretty smooth sailing. And um, what happens is that the river comes across this like ledge. It's, it's in this 14 feet straight down onto rocky shoals below, and then a very calm pool. And 14 feet doesn't sound like a big waterfall, but when you're thinking about going over it in a canoe, it, it feels pretty big. And um, so, so we load up. There's three guys in kayaks, and then me and my friend Woody Nolan are, are going to go over in a canoe over a waterfall. And... Um, <laughs> The, the kayakers go first, and it's like kayaking over a waterfall. It's sort of like the cowardly way to go over a waterfall. It's like easy. You just kind of go over, and you pop under, and you pop back up, and you're fine. And we were, you know, we kind of running safety for them, and then, and then me and Woody got going. And uh, because it's a little unusual to do in a canoe, we decided that we would um, just get up like a lot of speed. We would just power it, okay? And uh, Woody's a big, strong guy, and I was like smaller but stronger then than I am now. And we're just going to power through it, and we're going to hit the lip. And the, the flow of air over the bottom of the canoe is just going to create some lift. And we're just going to kind of sail out and land in the pool below, no problem. So we, so we put in about 100 yards, and we start to paddle. And when we get inside of it a couple hundred feet away, we're like, it's go time. And we start paddling, and yo, we're flying. We are flying. Uh, the, the, the problem is that the, um, there hasn't been that much rain lately in this part of North Carolina. And so the water, even though it's moving fast and crashing over this waterfall, it's actually lower than we had realized. And so about 50 feet from the edge of the waterfall, my, my paddle is starting to hit the rocky bottom of the river. It's a little alarming, but we're still powering. We go a few more, f- <laughs> a few more seconds, and uh, all of a sudden, we're starting to slow down because my paddle's only like halfway in the water because there's only about six inches of water below me. And then we get about you know, 20 feet from the edge, and I start to feel you know, that feeling under your knees where there's like, oh, there's some rocks. We're, we're hitting the bottom of the river. And we slow down more and more. Eventually, my paddle's barely in the water. And we crest the edge of the waterfall. I'm in the, I'm in the front of the canoe. 
And uh, we just stop about right here. And I am suspended in midair <laughs> over the waterfall. Nothing but air around me stopped in a canoe on Hooker Falls. You, you start to ask yourself questions at a time like this. <laughs> questions like, who do you think you are? Um, <laughs> what were you thinking? Why are you even here? Here's why here's what I tell this story. Uh, my, my memory of being a, a first year in college is that that's kind of what you are feeling by about now. You have been powering. You have been ambitious. You've been thinking, I am going to get some speed, and I am going to crush this thing. And you, now you're getting tired, and you've got the freshman plague already, and you didn't think that was going to happen until October. And all of a sudden, you got that syllabus gets handed to you, and you're like, oh, you mean to read 350 pages a night? Like, I didn't realize that was going to happen and there's just crowds of people everywhere and you feel alone and isolated and terrified and insecure and it's sort of like you're halfway over a waterfall and you're stuck and you're trapped and and there's good news for you if this is how you feel okay there's good news if this is how you feel the good news is that Jesus says that he is enough for you even when you feel like that he says that in the midst of the chaos and the uncertainty and the anxiety and the fear and the struggle in the midst of all that, he says, I'm enough for you. I'm more than enough for you. And what I want to do as we, as we look at this passage, I, I want to I just point out two, two things that are important. Because here, here's what's beautiful about Jesus. He, he answers the two most important questions of our lives. He answers the who and the why of what it means to be a person, okay? He answers the who and why. So that's all we're going to do. We're just going to look at the who and why of what it means to be a person. So first, the, the who of what it means to be a person. I, I think one of the... Uh, one of the hardest things about coming to college, this is true for everybody, but especially if you're, if you're a first year here, is that you've been, in, you've been in high school and you've kind of had your thing in high school, right? You've sort of had your persona, you've sort of had your squad, you've had your friends, you've had your extracurriculars, you've had, you've had yourself, your life there. And then you get to this new place and you get to kind of start all over again, which feels exciting at first because there's always like a few of those things where like hoping no one asks about it. I played the trombone in high school. I did not mention that at freshman orientation much. Now I'm proud if there's anybody out there is a fellow trombonist. Graham, what's up? Um, <laughs> there's, things we, there's things we want to, there's a few things we want to leave behind, but you get this, this chance to kind of mold and shape this new identity. The, the problem is that we, we tend to shift the way we're doing that depending on who we're with. You know what I'm talking about? So you're like on a pre-o trip and you're, you're molding and shifting this like super outdoorsy mosquito bites don't even make me itch. I don't care how I look, but I'm looking pretty good, right? Like that's, we're like molding that vibe. And then we get to, then we get to O week and we're putting on the like, I have a hundred friends already. Everyone is so nice. Nobody knows what's going on inside my head. Like you're, you're kind of doing this socialite thing. And then you, and then you go out to your, to your O week parties and you're sort of molding the identity into this like, yeah. I drank like so much beer in high school. Um, I know exactly what's going on. I love the way I feel like a nightmare the next morning. It's totally cool. Are you cool? I'm cool. We're good, right? And then you get to your first day of class, and you're like, school is first. I'm going to crush it. You know, they say like, they say look like, you know, 90% of you aren't going to be in the top 10%, but you all were before. all. Like, but you're like, but that's going to be me, right? Like, I'm going to, I want everyone to know that like, if you see me in the library and you talk to me, I'm going to hit you in the face. Like, I'm going fourth floor from day one, okay? We, we, we do this thing. You know what I'm talking about? We, sh we shift. We mold ourselves in these different identities all the time. And it just gets exhausting, and it gets very, very confusing, and you kind of forget which one you're going to be in which moment, right? 
this identity question becomes very, very, very stressful. Now, I, it's important to say this too, that, that I know that not everyone who comes to RUF, and I'm not like this, is a Christian. And I know that you come to a thing like RUF for, for all kinds of reasons. Some of you are here because like your friends made you come and you didn't have any other friends to hang out with, so here you are at RUF, right? Some of you are here because you're, you're curious. You might have questions about religion or faith or Jesus or Christianity. Some of you are here because you just wanted to like, meet some people. And some of, the, some of the circles where people are meeting people weren't your, weren't your thing and you haven't, hasn't been going so well and you want to meet some more people. Some of you are here because you, you like love the Lord Jesus and you want to know him and follow him more. Some of you are here because you're already deeply invested in this like, beautiful, wonderful, messy community of people that we are. You, you're here for all kinds of reasons, but if, if you are a Christian, if you do know Jesus, then there's good news for you in terms of this like, wardrobe of identities that you can like, take a shirt off the, the identity wardrobe and put a new one on in each moment. There's, there's good news for you. And the good news is that, is that you're free from that. You're free from that anxiety that says, like, who am I supposed to be in this moment? Like, here are the people around me. What do they want me to be? And what do I have to do to make them believe that that's who I really am? You're actually free from that. You're free from that desperate urgency you feel in every social situation to be enough. Because in Jesus, who you are is enough. This is, this is how Paul starts this letter of Colossians. He says this. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. And then here's where I want to look. To the saints and faithful brothers. Uh, when you hear saints in the Bible, don't think like patron saint. Think that's just everybody who goes to church in Colossae. That's, that's a word for all believers is the saints. And when you see brothers, don't freak out women. It's just the plural of a noun. It's brothers and sisters. Everyone settle down. Okay, and then here's what I want you to look at. In Christ at Colossae. In Christ at Colossae, there's this, um, there's this dual reality of what it means of who you are if you follow Jesus. That you're in Christ, that's part of it, and then you're at some place. So if you're a Christian and you're here tonight, you're in Christ at Washington and Lee. Okay, that's, that's what you should be thinking when you read this. That, you're, that your identity is in Christ and your identity is also wrapped up in the place that God has brought you in this moment. And it, it's, it, it's impossible in a, in a short amount of time to, to cover the depths of what it means to be in Christ. But here's some of the things that means to be in Christ. It means that you belong to him. It means that you are known and cared for by him. It means that you are protected by him. It means that you have been saved for eternity through his death and resurrection. It means that he loves you. It means that he protects you. That, that's what it means to be in Christ. And what, the reason Paul is saying this is because he wants to be sure we know that who you are more than anything else is in Christ. It's in Christ. That's actually the most important thing about who you are. This is really important because it means that your GPA is not who you are. It means that your Greek affiliation is not who you are. It means that the biggest mistakes you've ever made in your whole life, even if they've happened in the past two weeks, is not who you are. It means that your job offers are not who you are. It means that what other people think about you is not who you are. That's not who you are. You actually get to be freed. You get to shut down this wardrobe of fake identities that you're desperately trying to put on and remember, okay, I know who I am. I'm in Christ. I already belong. I'm already cared for. I'm already valued. I'm already worth something. I'm already known. That's true of your friend Christ. That's who you are. 
And you get to be that person here at this place, at Colossae, at Washington and Lee, with these people that God has brought you to. God answers the who question of your life because who you are is in Jesus. That's the who. The, the second thing that I want to talk about is the why of your life, the why. And there's, there's a lot of ways to talk about the, the why of your life, like why, at why what. I mean, I'm really talking about overarching, like why everything? Like everything about your life, why is it like that? Why did you come to Washington and Lee? Why are you a history major? Why are you in this group? Why are you on this team? Why are you going here for the summers? Why did you have whatever they had in D Hall for dinner? Like, why everything, right? It's kind of an overwhelming question, and we really want, I think if we're honest, we really want an answer to the question. We want some kind of purpose, some kind of meaning, some kind of understanding behind all the random things in our life to help us to make sense of it. And according to the Bible, the ultimate why of your life is God Himself. The why of your life is God Himself. That's why Paul starts like this when he's talking about how, how who he is in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Why am I an apostle of Christ Jesus? By the will of God. That's why. That's why he is what he is. And that's why you are what you are. Paul says in, in another book in the New Testament, in Ephesians 1.11, he said that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things. God works Everything according to his will, his intention, his desire, his plan. What he wants is what is. So that means that everything about your life is actually according to the will of God. It's because of God, that's why. You came to RUF tonight because it was God's will for you to come to RUF tonight. You're signed up for fall conference or you're going to sign up later at the table in the back because that's God's will for you to do that. You have the roommate you have. You're going to date the people you're going to date. You're going to join the groups you're going to join. All these things are by the will of God. It's his will. It's his. It's, it's actually not ours. Now, this can be a scary conversation because there's some things that are happening in our lives that are not so good, right? There are some things in our own lives like our own sin, our own darkness, our own brokenness. Well, the Bible is very clear that that's not according to God's will. It's, it's actually his will. It's actually his intention for you to grow more and more in righteousness and faithfulness and love. And there's also things that happen to us that are not so good, right? That are a result of other people's sins. Those are not the will of God. But the good things in your life are actually according to his will. There's an author named um, Sam Storms. Um, and he writes about this. And he basically says there's, there's two implications if this is true. Like, if it's true, I want you to think about this for a second. What, like, what if it's true that there's a God, and he's good, and he's actually in control of your life? I think, our, I think we kind of love it and hate it. Like, we want someone who we, can, who we can follow, and we don't want anyone to make us do anything we don't want to do, right? But, but here's, the, here's what Sam Storm says about it. He says it, that we experience this in two ways. One is security, and one is dignity. One is security, and one is dignity, Okay. Here's what security means. It means that you can't miss out on God's plan for you. You cannot miss out on God's plan for you if you are following him. And part of that means that nothing you do and nothing that happens to you can exceed the grace and love of God for you. Nothing can exceed it. Nothing can outmatch it. Nothing can disqualify it. You're secure in that God is in control and he's good and he's all-powerful and he cannot be stopped. He's an unstoppable force. The most unstoppable force in the universe is the intention and desire of the heart of God. 
So you actually are safe. You actually won't miss out. You can't exceed the love and grace of God. This, this becomes really important to us when we have uh, big mistakes and big regrets in our life. This becomes really important when we go through really challenging and trying and sad and broken and infuriating times in our life. Because it means that when you are hurting and when you are struggling, when you are in pain, God says, I'm still enough for you because I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to carry you through because I brought you here and I'm going to keep leading you. Because you cannot escape his will. Okay, that's the security. The, the second thing we see is, is dignity. And this is really important because the world tells you that your dignity is sort of determined by your credentials and achievements. You know what I mean? So the, so the world, especially a world like WNL, tells you that there's things like upper tier and lower tier sororities. This makes me insane. You know what Jesus says? No matter where you are, you're there because that's where I put you and so it's good. In my eyes, there's no upper tier and lower tier. There's you and I love you. And my will for your life won't be stopped. The, the, the world tells you things, especially at a place like WNL, that there's you know, kind of upper tier jobs like investment banking. And then there's lower tier jobs like teaching. <laughs> you know what Jesus says to you? Whatever I lead you into is the thing that I want you to do, and so it is good. And I will work through you, and I will be with you, and I will change people's lives because of what you are doing in my name. That's what the gospel says to you and these things. That means that wherever you are in life, God has called you there. Wherever you're going, that's where God is going to lead you. And so it's the right place to be. So it's a good place to be. So it's a beautiful place to be. Your dignity comes from the plan of God working itself out in your life. As, as we look through, the, for, through Colossians this semester, I'm going to be kind of asking the same question over and over and over again in different ways. And, and the question is, is Jesus enough for you? And so I want you to stop as we as we started this, this evening. I want you to stop and ask yourself, like, is, is Jesus enough for you? Or do you need Jesus plus like a little extra? Is, is Jesus enough for you or do you need Jesus plus a job at a big four consulting firm? Would that be good? Would that be enough? Do you need, is Jesus enough for you, or do you need Jesus plus the perfect body? Is Jesus enough for you, or do you need Jesus plus the bid to the fraternity of sorority that you are hoping for? Is Jesus enough for you, or do you need a 4.0? And to have people think you're cool and funny at parties, and to get into an Ivy League med school, and to marry someone beautiful and awesome, and to have enough money to buy all the lily dresses that you want, and to have everyone think that you're smart, and to get these encouraging, affirming professors emailing you, telling you what you said in class today was awesome, and freshmen are looking up to you and telling you how they want to be like you. Like, do you need that also, plus Jesus? Or is Jesus enough? Is who he says you are enough? Is the why of his will enough for you? The claim of the Bible that we'll be talking about is that Jesus is enough for you. We'll be looking at that in different ways all this semester. Okay, we're back to Hooker Falls. I am suspended in midair. Water is rushing past me. I am motionless. I have that 
kind of ex interesting cocktail of like panic, fear, and embarrassment. Because my friends are down below, and they're like pointing and screaming and laughing at me and Woody as we are stopped on the top of this waterfall. And uh, I look back at Woody, and, and we're starting to feel that our canoe is like warping and bending. And we're like, we need to do something. Like, we cannot go backwards. We cannot get out. Like, the only thing to do is to go forwards. And so we grab like the edges of the canoe. We start kind of like lurching it forward, you know, <laughs> like inch by inch by inch over the rocks. And we get that, that final moment where we're just like teetering on the edge, and then it pitches 90 degrees, and we just slam straight down in the rocks. I'm, I'm slammed into the front of the boat. Woody comes out of his knee straps and hits me in the back, and I launch into the air. So I actually did have my pool landing that I wanted. I hit face first. And th you know, thankfully, nothing but a broken canoe and bruised back ribs and a bruised ego. Uh, but some of, you this, some of you this semester are going to have the experience of crashing into the rocks. Some of you this semester are going to have the experience of uh, failing at something that you've never failed at before. Some of you this semester are going to have the experience of making what feels like the biggest mistake of your life at a party. Some of you this has already happened to this semester. Some of you are going to be, feel like you're just drowning in loneliness. And everyone seems to love it here because that's what you're supposed to say and all you want to do is go back home. Why, oh why, didn't I go to Georgia? Like, this is going to happen to you guys. This happens to all of us. You're actually going to, you're going to crash at some point. You're going to hit the rocks. You're going to fly face first into the water. And you're going to feel like there's nothing that could be enough for me right now. And the good news for you is that Jesus says, e even when you crash and burn, I am enough for you. And we need what we find at the very, the very last thing that Paul says in this first two intro verses. Here's what he says. Grace to you. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father. That is God's word to you when you crash. Grace to you. Grace, that love and mercy and forgiveness of God that is not dependent on anything in you, but is only dependent on the goodness of his heart, the finished work of Christ. His word to you is, I'm enough even when you crash because I give you my grace and peace to you the powerful presence of God's spirit with you that takes away all your fear. Jesus is enough because he answers the who and the why of your life. And even when you crash, he longs to give you an experience of his grace and his peace because he loves you. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for this night. Thank you for our first RUF of the semester. Thank you for the community of people in this room. I pray that you would knit us together. I pray you'd help us to grow friendships. I pray that you'd be at work in our lives and that we would actually experience the grace and the peace that you offer us in love. What is we, as we go for the rest of our weeks, help us to remember, to care around with us, that who we are is enough because you say that we belong to you, that we are in Christ. And give us the security and the dignity wherever you have us in life of remembering that where we are is according to your will. And it is good and is for our good. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.